red gliding baseball rag. See the pitcher throw and strike him out. You got him going. Oh, oh. That gliding baseball drag. Don't you be a quitter. Show him you're a heavy hitter. Some classy curve the pitcher twirling. Go on, kids. Spin without a whirling. Hey, soak it out. Soak it out. Make a home run. Ball. Strike. Safe hit. First base. Make second. You're a bird. Keep it going, sonny. Make me win a lot of money. Don't stop until you're clutching third. You're a holy terror. Center fielder made an error. Slide, slide. You made a good beginning for you know that your team always makes a winning when you play ball and sing that baseball rag. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Friday, July 28th edition of Free Baseball the podcast that goes into extra innings and walks the extra mile to bring you the best in observation, insight, and analysis of our national pastime. Today, we will follow up last week's broadcast and give you an update on the Major League Baseball trade deadline for 2023. Our Unsung Heroes segment will be a little different this week as we take a look at one of the unsung teams of all time. You frequently see lists of the greatest teams, strongest World Series champs, and the like. But over the next few weeks, we'll take a look at the best baseball teams that didn't quite make the grade, teams that missed out on the postseason, but were nevertheless among the best teams of their times. Of course, we'll have an answer to last week's trivia question and a new stumper for you to figure out in the days ahead. First off, we need to take note of something that happened in baseball yesterday that has never happened before, not in the entire history of the game all the way back to 1876. Maybe it shouldn't surprise that Shohei Otani is the player who did it. Otani has been called the unicorn because he's one of a kind and his achievements border on the mythic. Yesterday, he took the mound for the Angels in the first game of a doubleheader against the Tigers, and he threw a complete game, one-hit shutout, fanning eight. Now that in itself is a rare feat these days, but Otani played the second game of the twin bill as the Angels' designated hitter, and he hit two home runs, leading his team to a doubleheader sweep. Never before in the history of the game has a player pitched a shutout in the first game of a doubleheader and hit a home run in the second game. And just to put a cherry on top, Otani hit two round trippers. The man is simply amazing. As you recall last week, I predicted that Otani would be traded. I had it exactly wrong, and I also had a lot of company in my prognostication. But Arnie Moreno didn't become a rich man by shying away from taking risks, and that is the strategy that he's following here with the Los Angeles Angels. He pulled Otani off the trade market on Wednesday, and he made the major trade of the season so far, acquiring right-handed pitcher Lucas Giolito from the White Sox. He is clearly trying to show Otani that the team is committed to winning, and if they manage to sneak into the third ale wildcard spot, perhaps he can overpay Otani enough during the offseason to extend his career as a Los Angeles Angel. Time will tell. For now, 
let's take a look at all the deals that have gone down and where the trading frenzy so far may lead. Jane, take it away. Well, the trade deadline is off to a fast start. I'm going to go over the deals that have gone down so far, starting with the most recent and working backwards for the last two days. Last night I was watching the Mets game, and in the eighth inning, they had David Roberts and their closer warming up in the bullpen. All of a sudden, he sat down, and they got another reliever up. And this is always a warning sign during the trade deadline that something might be up. And sure enough, turns out the Mets have traded their closer, David Robinson, to the Miami Marlins in the same division. Now, Robertson was, by all measure, the best relief pitcher certain to be on the market. And you have to wonder why, five days before the deadline, the Mets decided to move Robertson so early. I think it would have been a wiser choice if they had waited. This is, after all, a seller's market. And if they had waited two or three days, they might have found a better deal than the one they got from Miami. In exchange for David Robertson, who has been excellent this year, they picked up an infielder, 18-year-old Marco Vargas, and 19-year-old catcher Ronald Hernandez. Now, I don't know who these guys are. I think most Mets fans have never heard of them. Together, their combined age is less than that of Robertson, who's 38 years old. So obviously the Mets are trying to get younger. What I cannot figure out is that when you look at the Mets farm system, they have plenty of catching, and a lot of young infield prospects. What they said they needed was pitching that was close to the major league level. They got neither in this deal. This may or may not work out, and we probably won't know for a number of years till we see if Vargas and Hernandez are stars in the making or whether they're people we'll never hear about again. In any case, I question GM Billy Epler's making this move so early in the trading season. I think the Mets could have done better. Florida Marlins certainly improved themselves by acquiring Robertson since their bullpen has been very shaky the last two weeks. Before that, yesterday afternoon, we found out that the Milwaukee Brewers acquired first baseman Carlos Santana from the Pittsburgh Pirates, for 18-year-old shortstop Johnny Severino, who has a total of 12 professional at-bats. Well, I don't know how to look at this. The Brewers clearly need a first baseman. Rowdy Telez is on the shelf and may not be back for a while. Carlos Santana has experience in the postseason. He's a good clubhouse guy, but he certainly passed his prime. I think this is a minor move, 
and it could come back to bite the Brewers if Johnny Severino ever amounts to anything. Of course, next year or the year after, he could be shining shoes somewhere, so we won't know for a while. More importantly, early yesterday, the Los Angeles Angels traded their first and second minor league prospects, catcher Edgar Caro and left-handed pitcher Kai Bush, to the Chicago White Sox for right-handed pitcher Lucas Giolito, arguably one of the best starters on the market, and right-handed pitcher Reynaldo Lopez. The White Sox are clearly cleaning house, as they should. Giolito and Lopez are rentals for the next two months. They're both free agents at the end of the year. I think maybe the Los Angeles Angels overpaid for this. Catcher Edgar Cuero is their number one prospect. He can hit. He may or may not stay at catcher. And left-handed pitcher Kai Bush was the best pitching prospect in the Angels' farm system. Again, I think there's a subplot here, and that is Arnie Moreno is trying to go the extra mile to demonstrate to Shohei Otani that he is committed to winning. This is kind of like trying to fill an inside straight in poker. If the Angels benefit enough from this deal, if they are able to leapfrog the Yankees and the Red Sox and get the final AL wild card, if that means that Otani is open to re-signing with the Angels, and if Arnie Moreno is willing to overpay for Otani, then this deal makes sense. Before that, day before yesterday, the Los Angeles Dodgers acquired shortstop Ahmed Rosario from the Cleveland Guardians. In exchange, they sent Noah Syndergaard to the Guardians. This is a puzzling deal for me. Ahmed Rosario at one point was a Met prospect, and he was rated as the top shortstop prospect in all of baseball. Well, he hasn't quite panned out that way, but the Dodgers have had a huge hole at shortstop all season long. After Lux went down in spring training, they patched it together with a bunch of guys who really haven't done the job. So they have the chance to benefit if Rosario gets hot the next couple of months, knowing what Rosario did with the Mets where he ran both hot and cold, they might get nothing from this deal. But then again, they gave up Noah Syndergaard, who was so bad that they have had him on the injured list for two months, supposedly because of a blister. What they actually were doing was stashing him there so they didn't have to waste a roster space on a pitcher who just doesn't have it anymore. Now, Cleveland has a record of turning pitchers around, so maybe Cleveland is the best spot for Syndergaard at this declining point in his career. Again, we'll have to wait until next year to find out. Before the Marlins made their trade last night with the Mets to get David Robertson, they made a trade with the Minnesota Twins, these two teams swapped relief pitchers with the Twins acquiring Dylan Floro from the Marlins in exchange for Jorge Lopez. This is a swap of struggling right-handed relievers who've had a modicum of success in the past. Both are having terrible years. Sometimes a change of scenery late in the year will make a difference. 
I don't expect this trade really to amount to very much. And then, finally, two other deals. The Mariners added an arm to their bullpen, getting reliever Trent Thornton from the Blue Jays. How small is this deal? Well, the Blue Jays designated Thornton for assignment last week, which meant they were trying to cut him loose. The Mariners will pick up his salary, and in return, the uh, Toronto Blue Jays got a AAA infielder, Mason McCoy, uh, whom you'll probably never hear of again. The Los Angeles Dodgers made an interesting move two days ago. They got Enrique Kiki Hernandez, a very popular former Dodger. He's got a lot of fans in L.A. They traded two relief pitchers, Nick Robertson and right-handed relief pitcher Justin Hagenman, to the Red Sox to pick up Hernandez. This, again, is the Red Sox just trying to fill up their farm system with serviceable relief pitching arms. And Enrique Hernandez has had a terrible year in Boston. He started out as their center fielder. He went to shortstop for a while, and that proved to be a disaster. So the Dodgers will get Hernandez and Ahmed Rosario, hoping one of those two will have enough left in the tank to cover shortstop for them down the stretch. The Red Sox are taking a flyer on two middle-level relief pitchers here. So what's left? What might happen over the next four days? Well, baseball is nothing, if not unpredictable. But here's the latest scuttlebutt. There's some talk among Major League executives that the Dodgers might try to pry Nolan Arenado from the Cardinals. This, of course, depends upon the Cardinals' having the sense to see that they are currently going nowhere. Uh, Arenado would be a great fit in Los Angeles because their third base position is in flux. And the Dodgers have perhaps more good young pitching, especially in the top level of the minor leagues, than any other team. So we'll just have to wait and see what happens there. The White Sox are probably not done. There are rumors that both Lance Lynn, right-handed pitcher, and their shortstop Tim Anderson, who's had a miserable year until the last week or so, might be on the move. Anderson, perhaps to the Seattle Mariners. We'll see about that. Seattle definitely is going to do something. They've held back a little bit now, but this is a team that truly needs offensive help. The problem is their best trade material are young starting pitchers who are currently contributing to the major league team's success. And so it might be a state uh, where they have to weaken themselves in one area in order to strengthen themselves in another. I was a little surprised they weren't in on Lucas Giolito. I guess they got outbid by the California Angels. The Marlins are another team to keep an eye on. They made the move for Robertson from the Mets. There is some talk that they are after the White Sox shortstop, Tim Anderson, and he would be a perfect fit for the Marlins and give them some leadership and more offense than they've been getting from shortstop. What about the Yankees? Well, they've been quiet so far. They perhaps are going after Cody Bellinger, but then again, the Cubs have been so good in the last week and a half that maybe the Cubs stand pat. I would expect the Yankees, who have huge holes in both left field and third base, to do something. They are right on the cusp of the wild card. 
The only team directly ahead of them is the hated Boston Red Sox. So you can imagine Yankee fans will be up in arms if Brian Cashman doesn't do something to improve this team. That's enough for now. Next week, we'll uh, pick up the pieces and uh, go over the trades and moves that will be made in the next four days. So stay tuned for that. That fanfare means it's time for the Unsung Heroes segment of Free Baseball. And this week, I've got an entire team of Unsung Heroes, one of the greatest teams in baseball history that won nothing. Well, actually, they won 93 games, uh, so that's not nothing. But you would think with all of the players and all of the stats they accumulated, they might have won the pennant. I'm talking about the 1922 St. Louis Browns, who 101 years ago put together one of the finest seasons in that franchise's history. You might remember, or maybe not, that the St. Louis Browns in their entire 50-plus years only won one pennant. They went to the World Series in 1944 in the depths of World War II baseball with a collection of old ragtag has-beens and surprising up-and-coming youngsters. There was a book written about it called Even the Browns, which was the story of how this unlikely franchise managed to win its one and only title. In 1922, under manager Lee Fole, they won 93 games, but they finished second to Miller Huggins, the New York Yankees, Babe Ruth, and all those guys. But let us not forget the 1922 St. Louis Browns. As a team, they hit 310. As a team, they had a 3.38 team ERA, and this was the beginning, of course, of the lively ball era. They had a starting lineup that matched up very well with the Yankees. They had a veteran, Hank Severide, who had just come back from World War I, behind the plate. Hank hit 321. The first baseman, a name you'll certainly recognize, Hall of Famer George Sisler. All that Sisler did that year was get 246 hits, hit 420, scored 134 runs, stole 51 bases. His infield companions, Marty McManus at shortstop and Wally Gerber and Frank Ellerby at third, were a better glove man than hitters, but the outfield for the St. Louis Browns that year was second to no one, and I include the New York Yankees. Ken Williams, a fine ball player who's been pretty much forgotten, hit 39 homers and drove in 155 runs while batting 332. Oh, he also stole 37 bases. Center field was a character named Baby Doll Jacobson, and he hit 317, drove in 102 runs. Jack Tobin was the left fielder. He scored 122 runs and hit 331 himself. On the other side of the ledger, the pitching staff was nothing to sneeze at either. The top hurler for the Browns that year was Urban Shocker, who of course later went on to become the best starting pitcher on the 1927 New York Yankees. 
Urban Shocker won 24 games for the Browns that year. A guy with the unlikely name of Elam Van Gilder won 19. And the other starters, Dixie Davis, Ray Culp, and a guy named Rasty Wright, were better than league average. Hub Pruitt was one of the best relief pitchers. He was only 21 years old that year. So the 1922 Browns gave the Yankees all they could handle, and if they had been in the National League, would have won that that league easily. Unfortunately, they couldn't quite top the Yanks. But we remember you, 1922 St. Louis Browns, and free baseball tips its hat to the entire team. It's trivia time now at Free Baseball. Last week's question concerned a Major League Baseball player who was a regular for nine years, hit a total of 124 home runs. One of those seasons, he only hit five. The next year, he hit 43 homers, and he was only the fifth National Leaguer in history with 40 or more home runs and less than 100 RBIs in the same year. Who was he? Well, it's a familiar face. We're talking here about Davey Johnson, who was one of the answers to the trivia question two weeks ago. Davey Johnson. Okay, now we're going on to talk about doubleheaders. Earlier, we talked about Shohei Otani and what he happened to do in yesterday's twin bill between the Angels and the Tigers. Here's a stumper for you. It's a two-part question. Who was the last pitcher to start and win both games of a doubleheader? Complete game victories. Who was the last player to start and win both games of a doubleheader in complete game victories? Who was the last pitcher to start and lose both games of a double bill? All right, that's your question for next week. We will be back in one week's time next Friday with another edition of Free Baseball. I'm your host, Robert Cadera. Thanks for stopping by. See you next week. The Free Baseball Podcast is brought to you by Black Range Publishing, producers of the Gabe McKenna Mystery Series and the Black Range Pub Podcast. You can find us at www blackrangepublishing.com. Free Baseball can also be found at the following podcast platforms, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Audible. Come back and enjoy Free Baseball every Friday. I'm your host, Robert Cadera. Thanks for stopping by. See you next week. (laughs) 